Well, good morning. How are we today? Hope we're good. The weather's good, but you're here. Congratulations. You're winning, okay? So you can go ahead and give yourself a pat on the back. You're winning because you chose church over the nice weather this weekend. I'm proud of you for that. Uh, I want to press into something really quick before uh, we really dive in this morning with a little bit what Johnny was talking about. Um, but I want to speak to the ladies. So fellas, you can check out for about 30 seconds if you need to. Take you a little power nap. Um, ladies, the draft party for the men is your opportunity to just have some time to do whatever you want to do. We will take care of everything else. We got child care. We got daddy care. It's all taken care of. You can register them today. You can do that by actually going to the app. I've pushed the app a little bit over the last several weeks. If you don't already have the COF Houston app, uh, it's, a, it's an incredible resource. It's a great tool for you. Um, as someone who attends Community of Faith, who wants to get more involved and more connected at Community of Faith, you can go on there and you can find out um, music set list from the weekend. You can find message notes, video. You can find places to register for upcoming events like the draft party. Again, ladies, just a little, you know, pitch there for you. So, um, but anyways, as we land the plane of our For the Win series this morning, I want us to consider something. I want us to think about something. What would it look like to have an extraordinary life? What would it look like to have an extraordinary 2020? To say that in 2020, we were winning. Maybe 2019 wasn't that for you. Maybe 2020, the first couple of months, we're in the first day of the third month of the year already, and it's already off to a, a, in a way that you maybe didn't hope it would be. So what is it that would help 2020 really be what you hoped it would be? Let's answer this question, and, and I'm gonna ask you to kind of participate, crowd participation, but I want us to consider this question. What is the one thing you desire most in your life? When you think about 2020, when you think about getting to the end of your life even, what is the one thing you desire the most? What is the thing that you long for? Here's what I'm asking you to do. This is that crowd participation moment. I want you to just look at your neighbor and answer this question in five to 10 seconds with your neighbor, all right? Ready? I know this makes you a little bit uncomfortable because you're like, wait a minute, he's telling me to talk in church. And when he's up there talking, I'm not supposed to talk. I'm giving you permission, all right? Five seconds, go. Some of you are still really uncomfortable right now. <laughs> Some of you are like, oh, I'm, I'm gonna talk and I'm gonna keep talking. What is the most important thing? Listen, if you're watching online right now and you're like in a public place like Starbucks or maybe you're on a bus heading downtown, you can just look at your neighbor and say, what is the one thing in your life you long for? I promise, they won't think you're weird at all. <laughs> what is that thing? What is it that's most important for us? I'm gonna ask you to do this again. Do it again. Choose, choose to tell your other neighbor, the one that you didn't pick first, the second place finisher in your life. Um, ask them and tell them, what is the one thing you long for, you desire the most in your life? Tell them. All right, good, I already feel better. I feel like some good things are happening in the room right now. And some of you are like, Wes, I'm an extreme introvert and you are about to make my head explode, stop it. Uh, listen, if you are sitting there and you responded to that question with you to the person sitting next to you, listen, if you're married or dating, that's great, that's awesome, you're welcome for that opportunity. If you are strangers and you responded that way, you have permission to get up and move to a different place in the room. Um, we've got some security that can help out with that situation if we need to. Last night, there was a lady sitting down near the front of the room and she said out loud, not just to her neighbors, but to the whole group of people sitting around her, she goes, I I just need a husband that's gonna take care of me and live with me for the rest of my life. I mean, that was what she desired most. But the reason I wanted to ask that question is because many of our responses in the last couple minutes probably revolved around two specific things because we're wired specifically for two specific things. The first thing is this idea of connection. 
relationship. We desire to be known. We want to know other people. We want to experience love. We want to experience unconditional love. We want community. We want to know that there's a group we belong to. We want to know there's someone that we belong to that we can be attached to. It's something that's wired in us. And it goes all the way back. I mean, we can remember doing things, even as a child, that we did so that we would belong. A few weeks ago, several weeks ago, I was here on a Wednesday night. Our middle school and our high school students meet every single Wednesday at 7 o'clock. And as uh, that was all ending, I was standing outside just kind of watching parents pick up their kids, saying, ba- saying bye to kids as they were walking out. And there was this group of middle schoolers that walked out. And it was four girls and a boy. And I didn't think a whole lot of it. They get just out to the edge of the walkway. And I watched this boy take an empty glass Starbucks Frappuccino bottle and toss it in the air about 20 feet. I thought maybe he was going to catch it. I thought wrong. The bottle hit the ground, shattered into a thousand pieces, and I was like, no, he didn't. And so I was like, hey, boy, you better get back over here. And I didn't really go that way. I wanted to go dad mode on him, but I was like, hey, man, hey, you come here. I don't know your name, but, but come here. And in my head, I'm like, what in the world is he thinking? He gets over there, and I'm like, dude, what, what, are, you, what are you thinking? What, what happened? He goes, well, the girls told me to do it, and I just thought I would do it because they told me to do it. And I was like, Oh, and I was like, that's fair. Because fellas, we've all fallen for that at some point in our life. We've all made that mistake. And it was just, but the reason is because he wanted to belong. He wanted to feel like his life had some value in their minds in that moment. So he made that choice. It's something we're wired for. And the reality is, is that if we don't have that connection, it actually begins to impact our life in a negative way, even physically. I mean, solitary confinement. It's something that people use and societies and cultures over the course of history have used for the worst of the worst. When you are being penalized for a crime that you committed and it's like the worst of all the, all the crimes, they put you in a thing called solitary confinement. All by yourself, just disconnected from anybody else, disconnected from conversation or relationship or connection. You know, the reality is, is they can't leave you there forever because if they leave you there forever, you will eventually die. Our minds, our brains literally begin to break down as we lose connection with people. We're wired this way. And some of you spoke into that. You desire that. Others of you, you're like, man, I'm not all about the love and the compassion and the relationship side of things, but I want to do something. I want to conquer something. I want to build something. I want to make a difference. I want to get to the end, and I want people to say about me that his life made a difference in his family, in his community, in his church, in the things that he did, in his business. His life had weight to it because of what he was able to accomplish or what she was able to accomplish. That's what we really, really desire in our life. I was reading about uh, in, a, in a book by Viktor Frankl called Man's Search for Meaning, and he says this. This man is a Holocaust survivor, an Austrian psychiatrist. He had survived some of the harshest conditions we could ever imagine. And he says this in his book. He says, life is never made unbearable because of circumstances, but only by lack of meaning and purpose. This man had watched thousands in Nazi concentration camps, camps lose their life. But he had also watched many survive. And what he had determined is that those who had a purpose for living, a reason to live, oftentimes survived more than those who didn't. What he's trying to say is when we lose purpose, we lose life. I mean, think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If you throw it back to your psychology classes back in the day, and maybe that was a long, long time ago and you don't remember that, let me just give you a refresher. At the top of that triangle is exactly what I'm talking about. 
Because at the top of that triangle is this idea that I want to live up to my full potential in life, who I am. I want to live to that full potential. And the two things that contribute to that are the next two things on that triangle. One is a sense of accomplishment. Did what I do mattered? Did I do something great? And then the next thing is simply a sense of, lo- of love and belonging. We were created. We were created with a sense of belonging and a sense of purpose. And it wasn't an accident. We were created this way. It wasn't a coincidence, it wasn't an accident. It goes all the way back to the beginning when God created everything from nothing. It was dark, there was, there was nothing that was in order, there was a void of anything. And God began to put together the world and creation and everything in existence. And on the sixth day, we find out that he created all the animals on the land. And then on the second half of the sixth day, he created man and he created woman. And there's a lot of things about us that are similar when we think about animals and then man and women. I mean, we both were created from dust. We both come from the earth. Reproduction happens the same way. There's a close association between animals and humanity, but there's some stark differences as well. It's why we weren't created at the exact same time that animals on the land was created. We were created in the second part of that day. Look what it says in Genesis chapter one, verse 26. It says, then God said, let us, that's important for us to pay attention to, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. There's a plurality that he wants us to see. He wants us to understand. So that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. This verse is important because this verse is speaking to exactly what we were talking about just a moment ago. What you were describing most likely to the person sitting next to you, stranger or not, was probably something around the idea of belonging or purpose. I want my life to have purpose. I want to belong to someone, to somebody, to some group. You see, we were created differently. There was this divine counsel. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God, three parts. That's what this is talking about. Let us, who is us? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Together, it was the first picture of a sense of belonging, this unifying collaboration to create you and me, to create us with that same sense, just like them in their image, this desire to belong, this desire for connection, not just to be connected, but to live on purpose. We were given a privilege, we were given a responsibility, we were given an opportunity to have dominion over all the earth. There was a purpose behind our existence. There was a purpose in why we were created and that is true for every single one of us. We were created. We were created for belonging and purpose. Every single one of us. And you and I will never step into the full potential that life has to give until we find belonging and we recognize purpose. You will never be the extraordinary version of yourself apart from being connected with other people who love you, who care about you, who you love and who you trust. But you also gotta have some purpose to live for. Why? Because God created us this way. He created us on purpose. We were given a responsibility. We were to rule over this earth. We were supposed to manage this earth well. But we were also created to exist in relationships. You were created to belong to someone other than yourself. You weren't created to be just an individual all alone in life. It was perfect. 
It was flawless. It was his idea. It was their idea. This divine collaboration that created you and me. It wasn't good for us to be alone. It continues to say that in Genesis chapter two. Check this out. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. You realize it hadn't been very long since he had been created, but he was already desperate for connection. He was already desperate for companionship. He says, this at last. It's like, finally, it'd probably only been like an hour and he took a nap. But this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And all the fellows said, yes and amen. <laughs> you see this? This is the perfect picture. It's the perfect picture of belonging to each other, belonging in relationship and companionship. Why? For a purpose. It was perfect. He created this on purpose. He created this companionship, this sense of belonging. And it was supposed to last forever. There was never supposed to be any separation. There was never supposed to be a split. It was created on purpose to build a strong love, a strong trust, a strong honesty and compassion between two people. It was created to remind us of equality, one blood from one source, every race, every nation, equal, unified. It was created to remind us that man is just as important as woman and woman is just as important as man. It was perfect, it was flawless. But nobody in the room right now looks at the reality that we live in and says that's what it looks like today. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of family dynamics in this room this morning. We all come from different places. We all have a different role in our family. I mean, we've got some firstborns in the room. How many of you are a firstborn? You said, I am a firstborn. All right, everybody that has their hand up right now, they know everything. And I say that because I am a firstborn. And I'm not wrong. You understand that, right? I'm not wrong. You can't tell me I'm wrong. You can, but I'm not gonna agree with you because I'm a firstborn. We think we know it all. What about the babies of the family? We got any babies of the family? All right, raise your hand, raise it up proud. Those of you who are carefree, they're your jokesters. They're also the ones that never got in trouble. Like they didn't, they didn't face near the consequences that you and I faced as the firstborn when it came to consequences for our poor decisions. I mean, we all play a different role. You're like, hey, what about the middle kids, Wes? All right, hey, I'm not forgetting about you either. You, sometimes you feel forgotten. Where are our middle, middle born? All right, all right, we got a lot of middle born in the room. You're like, man, sometimes I feel forgotten, so I'm just gonna live life the way I need to live life. I'm all in it for myself, and you know, it's, that's good, and you've done good for yourself. What about our only children? Got some only children, center of attention. You're like, that's right, you better recognize Wes. All right, I see, I see your hands. Um, do this, throw that up proud. We've got all different dynamics represented. Families are different. Every family's got its quirks. I mean, maybe you were... The, the guy growing up and you were hanging out with your boys at your house and having a, a guy get together and dad comes walking through the living room and nothing but his tidy whities And you're like, dad, really? Like, I, why, why right now? Could you at least put on some shorts? 
I remember several years ago, my wife and I had some friends visiting us from Dallas where we had lived before and we had served on staff at a different church and um, they came to visit us and they were here for the weekend and as they were leaving, um, we were standing out in the front yard saying goodbye, you know, telling everybody, see you later, hope to see you soon. And all of a sudden I hear my oldest laughing hysterically and then I hear other kids laughing hysterically and all looking behind me and I turn around and my youngest has his pants down and is mooning everybody in the broad daylight in our front yard. And I'm like, Camden, pull your pants up and get inside. And he goes, YOLO, and he runs inside. I'm not, not exaggerating. Three and a half years old, he sprints inside the house. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I don't know what happened. I don't, he doesn't get that from me. It clearly comes from his mother. It's not me. She's gonna kill me for that later. But we all have this dysfunction. And we can laugh and joke about some of it, but the reality is, is that belonging and connection isn't what it was ultimately supposed to be. What happened? Well, sin happened. Because if you keep reading in Genesis, in Genesis chapter three, we read about the fall. The enemy steps onto the scene and he deceives Adam and Eve. He deceives them to believe that they don't need a God. They don't need a heavenly father. They don't need his protection. They don't need his authority in their lives. And so they choose to take a step away from their heavenly father's authority. And they say, you know what? We're better off on our own. We're better off making choices for ourselves. We know best. We know better than he knows. And sin stepped onto the scene. And immediately, everything that we were created to be, all the perfection was broken. And what was originally designed and created to be something that would never be separated, that would never be split, we now see as something where there's often divorce, there's split, there's fractured homes, there's boys and girls growing up without a mom or a dad. It wasn't intended to be that way but sin entered into humanity. Instead of building a strong love and a strong trust and a strong loyalty in this sense of belonging and companionship, we've seen it become diluted because we oftentimes fall victim to our impulsive behavior and we make decisions that break down that love and break down that trust, break down the loyalty with those that we're supposed to be closest to. And what's interesting is as you see the loyalty and the love and the trust of the family dynamic begin to break down, it begins to influence the entire culture around us. Society begins to suffer. It becomes weaker in society. It becomes weaker at work. It becomes weaker in school. It, it becomes weaker in an entire country and an entire nation. Instead of us recognizing that we're all one blood from one source, we instead begin to focus on where we're different. And we begin to alienate. We begin to push out. And it results in violence selfishness, greed, war. Instead of us being seen and recognizing that man is equal to woman and woman is equal to man, we've seen over and over and over for thousands of years, men elevate themselves to push down women. Abuse happens, neglect, alienation. The fall was real and the fall was big and every single one of us has been impacted by it. And if I was just to stop right here and say, hey, it's been a great day, let's pray, we'll see you next weekend, that's a pretty hopeless conversation. There's nothing extraordinary about that except for extraordinary exposure of our reality. But at the core of us, there's still this longing for what we were created with, a longing to belong to something, to someone, to a group of people. There's a desire for purpose, to live and to be part of a cause in this life. So God had a plan. He went, he meant, and he set up a plan to restore what had been broken, and that plan involved a man named Jesus. 
And so I want us to jump to the New Testament, to the first book of the New Testament. We're gonna be in the first book of the old, the first book of the new. Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is, um, he's, he's living his earthly ministry. People are crowding around him. People are intrigued by what he's doing, by what he's saying, by the miracles that he's performing. And we find ourselves on the scene in Matthew chapter 12, where Jesus, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. So just imagine the scene. There's this insane crowd of people around Jesus. Jesus is busy. He's got a lot going on. He's got a lot of people demanding his time and his, his attention. But his mom and his brothers need to speak with him. I mean, we know what that's like. You ever tried to get a hold of somebody and they were too busy to talk to you? Maybe it was your spouse and that ended in a really uncomfortable conversation when you got home. She's like, I've been trying to call you 15 times today. You didn't answer. I had to call your friend so your friend would tell you you need to call me so that we could talk. That's kind of what's going on here. His mom wants to say something. She wants to speak with him. But it's interesting. Jesus takes this opportunity to teach us something important. Look what it says. He replied to them, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. That's kind of a bizarre response to this particular situation. He says, hey, listen up. Who is my family? And everybody in that moment is probably like, what in the world? I mean, I can just imagine like Peter and John standing over there with the rest of the disciples and Jesus looks at them and says, these are my mother and my brothers. And Peter goes, what in the world is Jesus talking about? And John says something like, man, I don't know, but if all this is true, you're gonna be the mom, all right? Because you look more like his mom than I do. I mean, they've got to be kind of taken back. They're like, what in the world is he talking about? And then he continues on, and this is a huge verse for us this morning. He says, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven. He's saying, hey, who are you going to trust? Are you going to trust yourself? Are you going to trust my Father in heaven? Are you going to trust me? Are you going to trust Jesus? He says, trust me, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister. I used to think this verse when I was growing up is why people in traditional churches back in the day would always call everybody like, hey, Brother Chuck, how you doing, Brother Chuck? So good to see you this morning. We get to church and we start calling each other brother and sister this, brother and sister that. And so I thought that's what this meant. But there's so much more here. Jesus wasn't simply stiff-arming his family. He wasn't trying to ghost his mom. He was trying to teach us something. He's trying to show us something in this moment because he understood the value of belonging. He understood the value of companionship, the value of family, but he knew it had been broken. He knew it, was a, and it had been busted. Why did Jesus know the value of all this? Because he was part of the designing collaboration all the way in the beginning. He created us for this. But he also knew that we had messed it up, that it was broken, and we participated in that brokenness. And he says, hey, I want to restore what's been broken. I want to make things new. I want you to experience this sense of a belonging in a really healthy way. I want you to, to begin to live for a purpose again. What is that purpose? To do the will of my heavenly Father. And as you participate in the will of my heavenly Father, then you become my mother, my brothers, and my sisters. That's what Jesus is saying. He's creating something new. He's recreating that family companionship dynamic. How does it happen? How does this happen? We find belonging when it's built around purpose. Belonging, companionship, is found when we build it around a purpose. 
You see, it's not good enough for us just to set out in life and say, I need to find belonging because belonging isn't a purpose. But as we surround ourselves around a purpose, we actually begin to find belonging. We need both. Jesus knows these are our two greatest needs and he does something to address both of those. But it's interesting, he doesn't point at the entire crowd. He doesn't say to everybody, you are my mother, brothers and sisters. He points to the disciples. Why? I think he's foreshadowing where their life and where the trajectory of their life was going to go. Because in that moment, they didn't understand They didn't have a full grasp and understanding of everything Jesus had come to the earth to do and everything he was going to do and the reality that that meant for them. But Jesus would go to the cross. He would give his life for you and for me. He would take on the penalty for my sin, for my brokenness, but then he would come back to life on the third day. We're gonna celebrate that in a few weeks at Easter. But then after that, he meets with his disciples, that same group of guys who were confused and frustrated and not really sure what this whole Jesus thing and following him was all about. And he has this conversation with them in Matthew chapter 25 or 28. It says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, check this out. We originally were created to rule, to have dominion over the earth, but Jesus has clarified our purpose. He says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Not disciples of just some, but all nations. One blood from one source, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. He clarifies the purpose. But what did he say in verse 50? He says, those who do the will of my Father are my mother, my brothers, and my sisters. What he's saying, he's saying, hey, build your life on this purpose, and you'll find belonging. You'll find community, and it's unique an extraordinary version of you exists when you belong to a community built on an eternal purpose. You want to experience an incredible, extraordinary 2020, then build your life on an eternal purpose because we're really good at building our lives on purposes. But what about an eternal purpose instead of a temporal purpose? What would that look like for us? You know, it's one thing, C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, the person who just wants friends will never have any. The very condition of having friends is to want something more. You see, this whole idea of belonging is that we're gonna pursue something together and as we pursue that, we find that companionship, we find that community, we find that sense of belonging. You know, if you invited me to something and you said, hey, Wes, I I want you to find some new friends. Okay, I'm interested in that. What's that gonna look like? Well, uh, you're gonna show up at my house and we're gonna sit around a table with nothing to do and we're just gonna talk. I'm just gonna be real right now. I don't wanna do that, all right? Because I'm gonna feel real awkward. They're gonna probably feel real awkward. I'm not gonna know what to talk about. I'm not sure that it's gonna go well. I, there's too much anxiety in that. But you put, a, you put a fishing pole in my hand and put me on a boat with three or four other guys I've never met before. By the end of the day, there's a sense of belonging because we've participated in something. There's a purpose for that day. We've gone out to catch fish, and as we're catching fish, we begin to learn about each other, we begin to know each other, we begin to teach each other the things that work for us as we catch fish, and the things that they do that work to help them catch fish, and all of a sudden there's this connection that happens. It's not enough just to seek friendship. It's something extraordinary to live on purpose and to find friendship as a result of living on purpose, but what if we focused on an eternal purpose? purpose of making disciples of all nations, taking the name of Jesus all over. This is what's interesting about the disciples, the ones that Jesus pointed to that were confused. 
As you begin to read the book of Acts, it's all about what these disciples began to do as they began to make the name of Jesus famous. It's the reason that you and I are sitting here today. Without the disciples recognizing this purpose and stepping into this will of God in their life, without that, we probably wouldn't be sitting here today. But I think it's an important thing for us to consider that a man 2,000 years ago walked on this earth, gave his life, came back to life, and the people that were closest to him completely laid their lives down for them to build up his church because they wanted his name to be known. And here we are 2,000 years later singing songs about how great he is in Hockley, Texas. I think it's something worth investigating. It's something worth finding answers to. It's something worth connecting our life to. And maybe you've been sitting here a long time as part of the crowd, but you've never really connected to the purpose. You see, the purpose of the church is not just to sit as part of the crowd. The purpose of the church is to make the name of Jesus famous. And there's a way to do that. There's ways to do that here. Keep showing up. Maybe you need to take a step and and, and join what we call starting point. It's a class that we offer on a regular basis and it's just a simple opportunity for you to gather with a small group of people around a purpose to find belonging, but you begin to hear about who we are as a community of faith and why we do what we do, but most importantly, how you can step in and be a part of that and begin to jump onto a team to begin to make disciples of all nations. You can do that by going to the app that I mentioned earlier. There's a place specifically for Starting Point, and you can sign up for one of those upcoming classes. You'll begin to find belonging. You'll begin to find a sense of community. It's an incredible thing. We've seen incredible stories happen through Starting Point. But who is this for? Because every group that we try to belong to, there's, a, there's kind of this, this code for admission. So what is the code for admission for this? Well, it's interesting. As you continue to read through the book of Acts, There's this man named Saul who was a persecutor of Christians who meets Jesus, completely transforms his life, and he begins to try to make the name of Jesus famous in everywhere he goes. And he shows up in this place called Philippi. And it's interesting the people that he comes in contact with. The first person he comes in contact with in this part of Acts, you can read this today if you want for the sake of time, I'm not gonna read it all, but it's Acts chapter 16. And the first person Paul has an encounter with is this woman named Lydia. She's an independent, successful businesswoman. She's selling purple fabrics, purple clothes, purple goods, because it wasn't something that was accessible in in Macedonia. So she had showed up on the scene to make a profit for herself. She was independent. And Paul has this encounter with her down by the river. And he begins to answer some questions for her. She's got questions about her faith. She's got questions about this man named Jesus. She's looking for reasoning. She's looking for an intellectual response to who Jesus is. And it says that as Paul begins to have this conversation with her, that her eyes and her heart are opened to who God is. And she believes. And immediately she's baptized. And following her baptism, she invites Paul to her house. Paul and everybody that's with them, her whole house begins to believe. But do you see what happens? She finds Jesus. She meets Jesus. And then all of a sudden she recognizes a new purpose. And immediately community begins to happen. It's interesting. The second person right after that that Paul has an encounter with is is this slave girl a slave girl who's demon-possessed. She's not looking for reasoning. She's not looking for intellectual answers to life's um, situations or, or, or things going on in her life. She is in darkness. And it says that this woman, is, this, this slave girl is following Paul around for a day saying, these men are servants of the most high God and they're trying to teach you how to be saved. And for days, she's following them around yelling this as she's possessed by this spirit. Finally, Paul's frustrated. He says, in the name of Jesus, I, Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And immediately the spirit leaves her and she's been rescued. She didn't need reasoning. 
She didn't need intellect. She needed a rescue from the darkness that she found herself in. At some point in her life, she had stepped into some sort of darkness or darkness had stepped into her life and she needed a rescue. She wasn't an independent, successful businesswoman. She was a slave girl. But yet Jesus still worked in her life. Right after that, these men are frustrated. They're angry with Paul because he has taken away something that they used to make a profit in their life. And so they go and they tell the Roman officials and they say, man, this, this man, he's not, they didn't go focus on what he had done that was good. He was keeping them from having what they wanted. And so they, they said, there's this Jewish man that's not acting the way that a Roman government just thinks that he should respond. And so they throw him in jail. He's beaten and he's put in prison. Paul and Silas put in prison. And we meet the jailer. The jailer locks Paul and Silas up in their stocks and chains and puts them in their prison cell. The jailer's just an average guy, a blue collar worker. He's not looking for reasoning. He's not looking for intellectual answers. He doesn't need a rescue from life's darkness in his life. He's just living life the way he's supposed to live life. Paul and Silas, as night comes along, they start singing in the middle of the night. They start worshiping, singing about how great their God is, singing about how great Jesus is. And the jailer's probably frustrated because he's trying to go to sleep. And these crazy religious guys are singing. He's like, man, these guys are, these guys are strange. Finally, the jailer falls asleep, and then once he falls asleep, there's an earthquake. All of a sudden, in an instant, there's an unexpected circumstance in this jailer's life. And he wakes up to find that the prison doors are open, the chains have fallen off the prisoners, and all of a sudden, the one thing that he was doing with his life, the one purpose he had in life to keep people from escaping prison, he had failed at, and he decides he needs to take his life. And in that moment, Paul says, no, 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 don't, don't take your life. We're still here. And there's this crazy reality that takes place in this man's life. He realizes these guys have something that I don't have because here they are in a terrible situation, yet they have a peace that I don't understand. I mean, think about this. Reflect on this with me. When everything seems right, he's sitting there listening to these guys singing and he's probably thinking, man, these guys are weirdos. But then when life ends up in an unexpected place, and he recognizes that these weirdos have some peace in their life. He says, man, y'all are strange, y'all are weird, but I've got some questions and I need a little bit of that weird and that strange. It's interesting. The one who was vocal about his faith in this man's workplace is the one that this man runs to when his life falls apart, when life goes unexpected. So who is this for? This is for the intellectual this is the one who finds themselves enslaved by some sort of darkness. This is for the one who thinks everything is good, but then when life hits rock bottom, they need answers, they need peace. It's interesting, in this, in this Jewish culture, there was a prayer that they prayed. They would pray, thank goodness I'm not a woman, thank goodness I'm not a slave, and thank goodness I'm not a Gentile. So I think it's intentional that Paul did exactly what he did, but it's important for us to understand because they all had something in common. They all recognized they needed something bigger than themselves in the situation that they found themselves in. And maybe that's where we are today. Maybe we need to connect to a man named Jesus and lock into his purpose so that we can find a sense of belonging that's unique, that's different than any other sense of belonging that maybe we've ever experienced before. To kind of close this morning, I'd like to show you a story of a friend of mine named Wendy and the impact that some of this has had in her life. So you guys watch Wendy's story before we close. I 
I had met someone at work and we dated for a while and I was remarried toward the end of 2002 um, after being divorced um, for a little over two years. We had uh, two more children um, it, while I was in that marriage um, and we were married um, for eight years and um, about halfway through um, that marriage it just kind of took a weird turn. I don't know how else to explain it. Um, there was definitely some verbal abuse involved. Um, there was definitely some other abuse at times involved. Most of the time I felt like I just simply had to survive for my children because I knew at the end of the day that they needed a mom. We went to marriage counseling and um, in one of those counseling sessions, I had a counselor tell me that for my own safety and for the safety of my children, that I needed to leave. Um, my family did not know what was going on. I hadn't told any of them. I was ashamed. Um, here I was in a second marriage. Um, I grew up in a Christian household, and so divorce wasn't really a favorable outcome of a marriage. And here I was staring down a second divorce, and I was ashamed. But I feel like um, I was so desperate that uh, I just had to do what was right for my kids. We had been in a church together when we were married and I wasn't comfortable going there anymore and I knew that I needed to be in a church but I knew that that wasn't where I needed to be. Um, but I didn't know where else to go. And so I found myself in a place of single mom of four kids um, without a support system anymore or one that I feel like I could trust. Um, and so then I started asking questions about, you know, the church as a whole and are, are these people really authentic and really who they say they are or are they just trying to make it sound good? And when times get hard and push comes to shove, they're not actually going to be there for me and they're going to turn the other way and go do what they want to do anyway. I had looked up a few different churches that we could go visit. Um, and loaded the kids up in the car and we were gonna go visit a new church. Pulled in the parking lot and um, walked through the doors. I definitely didn't feel rejected, but um, just accepted. Like it was okay that I was broken. Like it was okay that, like, oh, you're a single mom, that's so awesome. I had, I had never thought about it that way. I had never viewed myself viewed being a single mom of four kids in a positive way and they taught me that I could and that the space that I was in and the place that I was in that God was going to use it um, even though I didn't know how. I never would have thought that I would have gotten married again, but God brought that person into my life and I can't imagine my life without him. 
Um, and oddly enough, my kids say that most of the time it's hard for them to remember a time when we weren't even together, which I think is a really cool blessing, um, which is just more evidence of, of God's hand in our story. I'll never forget the first Sunday I walked out into the parking lot. Oddly enough, they were in a place where I had found myself. Um, not sure if they could trust me or not. Not sure if I was real. Not sure if I was who I said I was. And not sure if I would be there for them the way that I said I would be there to support them. And so I spent every Sunday and every Saturday in the parking lot um, with them in the pouring down rain, in the freezing cold, in the crazy summer heat of Texas. Every weekend, that's where I was. I'm thankful that I have found friendship with these guys, but I'm more thankful that they have found friendship with each other. We celebrate together and we suffer together um, because we're friends. And it, it goes far beyond the parking lot on Sunday morning and so much deeper than that. And that's just part of being on a team, that's what you do. You, you learn from each other, you grow together, um, and you spur each other on to make each other better. Um, I told them I had their back, but I had to prove it. They weren't just gonna believe it. And with what I had experienced, I knew what that felt like. I was that very broken single mom that had lost her faith in the church that didn't even know if people had the ability to be real and authentic in a church anymore. Um, and I drove into the parking lot of this place and it changed my life. And it continues to change my life. What I love about Wendy's story is that um, ultimately she found a safe place here to not be okay. And once she began to feel comfortable and find a sense of belonging, she found Jesus. And Jesus has been at work in her life. And she's seen incredible things happen in her life and she's been faithful in that it's a safe place to not be okay. That's who we are. And we're all in this together. And if you have it all together, I just want to go ahead and warn you. If you've got it all together, we're going to mess you up. So you might want to bail now. But I don't think any of us have it all together. And that's where we're all here. So maybe you're an intellectual and you need some reasoning. You need some answers. You need some truth. You need more concrete information. You just stay engaged. You stay plugged in. Because I believe those answers are there for you. Maybe you found yourself in a place of spiritual darkness because of choices that you've made or choices that someone else has made in your life. Jesus' power is available to you and he wants to work in your life. So you stay plugged in. You stay connected around the person and the purpose of Jesus Christ. And maybe you're here and life is just good and you're just not, you're not real sure about this whole thing. You're not sure about your need for a man named Jesus or his purposes in your life. Listen, that's okay. I'm glad you're here, but it's worth investigating. But here's what I know, that when one day your world falls apart and that earthquake hits, that unexpected situation or circumstance hits in your life, we're gonna be here for you. We're gonna help pick you up. And Jesus is gonna do a work in your life.
What are you to do with what you've heard this morning? For some, it's just to trust Jesus. For others, it may be to go to starting point, to jump in and stop being part of the crowd, but to jump in and live on purpose, on mission with this community of faith here in Hockley, Texas, to change this city and to change the world. Can we pray? God, we love you. We thank you that you restored what was broken. And there's so much still that is broken in me and it's broken in us and you are continuing to work and I'm grateful for that. God, I'm also grateful that you've called us to participate in the work, that you've given us a new purpose and you've given us a new community to belong to. Even when our family dynamics and the relationships that we're supposed to rely on are busted and distant, you give us a place to go to find that love, to find that trust, to find that compassion. Thank you for that. God, there's hundreds of thousands of people within a close proximity of this place. I pray right now that what's happened in this room would not stay in this room, that you would stir something up in every single one of us that we can't help but go talk about it with the people that we're connected to outside of this place who are far from you, to the intellectual, to one that's struggling with addiction, to the one that maybe doesn't know they need you yet. God, I just pray that we would be your ambassadors in our city this week. Give us boldness, give us confidence, give us courage, but continue to work in us as we do that, as we live that purpose out. In Jesus' name, amen.